The big bad SEC got cut down to size in week one. Florida crushed by Utah, South Carolina, pulverized by North Carolina, and LSU got picked apart by Florida State in the second half. was really a lackluster start out of the gates for the SEC, and you heard chants of overrated, overrated in Orlando on Sunday night from Florida State fans. Yeah, I think you could make that case about at least a few teams in the SEC. Welcome into SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer alongside John Adams. And John, let's start right there. I don't know if we can go in uh, reverse order. I think maybe the the LSU-Florida State result was most significant, particularly in terms of long-term implications, possible implications on the college football playoff. Both you and I had high expectations for LSU. They spent uh, all preseason gathering hype to the extent that they were ranked number five in the preseason polls. Missed opportunities in the first half on some fourth down failures, and then second half, and Jordan Travis proved he was the best quarterback in the building. LSU got beat up front, and as I wrote afterwards, uh, the witness protection program might want to get in touch with LSU for how to make a man disappear because Harold Perkins vanished. One of the most exciting young players in in the nation last year was nowhere to be found uh, on Sunday night after a position change. Really just a... A bad opening act to Brian Kelly's second season. Yeah, I was curious about Harold Perkins because Brian Kelly talked at media days how he wants to make him a more traditional middle linebacker. So I watched him a lot. And it, it was easy to spot him because he's where the ball wasn't. Hmm. I, I mean, he's just standing back there. Sometimes he was in pass coverage. A lot of the time he was spying on quarterback Jordan uh, Travis Jordan, I, I just, I don't know. I, I was baffled by that. He is a playmaker, an elite pass rusher. And I thought, I know what Kelly said in media days, but I still thought he would be a prominent part of the pass rush. And he wasn't that at all. I mean, there were so many things wrong with, we could do a whole podcast on what's wrong with LSU. The defense ran out of gas midway through the third quarter. It was absolutely done had no energy, was on its heels, didn't like the way Jaden Daniels looked. It's as though LSU's afraid for him to throw over the middle. So their supposedly strong receiving core was no factor. I would have gone, I would have gone with Garrett Nussmeyer in mid, uh, by the end of the third quarter because Daniels wasn't getting it done. Just an awful performance. And I, uh, I thought LSU might be the second best team in the, in the country, not the SEC, the country. And uh, no, I'm I'm off that now. That's uh, That's been trashed by now. And, and I don't want to sound like an apologist, but it is worth noting Florida State very well could be a top five team in the country. They could be the best team in the ACC. Uh, they returned a ton of production. They've done an awesome job. Mike Norvell has in the transfer portal. Jordan Travis, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. So, this was a great opponent, and this was a pro Florida State crowd, no doubt. Was about, I, I was there. It was about 75% Florida State fans. But there were real issues from LSU that we're talking about here. Some of them Brian Kelly had hinted at in the preseason. We'd discussed these before. He'd mentioned depth concerns that he still had about this program, and he mentions concerns about the secondary. Well, both of those showed up throughout the second half. Uh, as you said, the defense looked gassed, and 
when you combine Jordan Travis with that great receiving core that Florida State has, uh, Florida's or, excuse me, LSU's secondary was completely outclassed. Uh, but but LSU didn't get enough pressure on the quarterback either. You got to help the back end of your defense out. LSU's always supposed to be loaded with pass rushers, right? This is LSU. I mean, I know it's DBU supposedly, uh, but they're always they always got D linemen that can get to the quarterback. Well, Harold Perkins, as you said, he was like eight yards away away from the line of scrimmage doing some sort of quarterback spy or something. I don't know. Uh, so he wasn't getting to the quarterback. Uh, they weren't enough able to get enough pressure otherwise. And then Jaden Daniels, you know, for a guy that that many had pegged as the best quarterback in the SEC, he didn't look the part on on Sunday. Uh, I thought he struggled with reads both on RPOs. He struggled to make the right the right decision. That we saw that in one fourth down that failed in particular. He should have handed it off. He kept it and got mauled in the backfield. And then he also struggled to to spot the open receiver at times. And we, th- that was a flashback to game one last year against Florida state. He was like one read and tuck and run. Uh, well, I mean, I started to get images of, of that Jaden Daniels performance from a year ago, because there were a number of times where there were open receivers out there that he just didn't see. And there, there really wasn't a silver lining in this one. Uh, I mean, you could say, and, and it is true that four fourth down plays were critical moments in this game. LSU was 0 for 3 on fourth downs. Florida State converted a fourth down on a, on a drive that took the lead. So those plays definitely loomed large. However, across four quarters, Florida State proved itself as the better team, and LSU proved itself as the team that has more problems, I think, going forward. Well, and it's created problems for the entire SEC. Uh, that was a big loss. You look at LSU as a playoff-type team, uh, and you think about the SEC usually has a shot. I thought it could get two teams in the uh, in the college football playoff this year, in the last year of a four-team playoff. Uh, that's what I thought going in, but I don't think that now because LSU's already got one loss, and it's one loss away from being eliminated from the college football playoff. LSU was leading at the end of the first half by three points, and I was convinced it was headed for a loss. I didn't know the loss would be that big, but it had its shot against Florida State early on and just didn't get it done. Yeah, I really wonder about Jaden Daniels. And looking back, so much was made of LSU beating Alabama and winning the West last year. Uh, But – it's last regular season game against Texas A&M. Losing that game, should we may maybe should have put more put more stock in that game. I know this is a new season, but put more stock in that game than we did the Alabama win. Uh, yeah, and they also got trounced by Tennessee at home too. So that that Alabama yeah. win was was more the exception than the rule. Now I looked at it as, and I, I think you did too. I mean, all the talent they had back. Um, this was not, you know, this was not a bunch of new faces out there. This was a lot of familiar faces off a team that won 10 games. So I think it was reasonable to expect they could take the next step forward. This didn't look like it. I mean, Brian Kelly had just a blistering rebuke uh, of his team's performance, of his own performance, of his staff's performance after the game. Uh, you normally don't hear this this type of uh, press conference from college coaches. Maybe some guys in in the pros will... Uh, will rip their entire organization, but college coaches norm- normally don't don't do th- do this. Brian Kelly called it quote 
a total failure. Uh, he described his team as a bunch of imposters. He said, quote, we thought we were two-time defending national champion Georgia Bulldogs or something. I don't know what we thought, but we were mistaken. And he also said, quote, we are certainly not the football team I thought we were. Uh, I mean, he just he just laid bare uh, what he called a total failure of a performance. As I said, he included himself into that assessment as well he should have. Uh, he got outcoached. LSU got outplayed. and as you said, John, there's no margin for error anymore for them for the college football playoffs. I, I'm not even thinking about the playoff with LSU anymore. To me, that's <laughs> I mean, I, I know we talk about week one over overreactions, but I don't think that's an overreaction. They got to go on the road to Alabama. They got to get through an SEC West schedule. Even if they were fortunate enough to run that table, that would likely lead to a game against Georgia and Atlanta and the SEC championship. There's no margin for error you can throw the playoff out of the conversation with, with LSU. And, and now it's just a struggle to even match last year's win total of 10 games. Blake, when I was reading uh, Kelly's uh, quotes afterward, as you, you mentioned, he pretty much eviscerated the entire organization. It reminded me of Jim Morrow when he was coaching the Saints, <laughs> that uh, famous rant when some somebody after another Saints loss asked him about a question about the playoffs. And he just, twisted his face beyond recognition and goes playoffs <laughs> playoffs I, that's what i thought of when, when i read kelly's quotes it was like you know we're we're nothing he, he's basically saying we're nothing like we thought we would be and i thought the same thing i thought lsu was a better team than last year um but it just didn't it just didn't come together and it was pretty obvious Mike Norvell and Florida State knew what would work against LSU and what wouldn't on both sides of the ball. And even when there were some lapses, it just kind of felt like Florida State was a better team. I, I thought that from that first goal line stand on, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how great LSU's running backs are. I thought its offensive line was good, but uh, – it doesn't have great running backs. It has okay running backs. And I thought his offensive line would be better, but just a really bad loss. If it, you could survive, a, you can still think about playoffs if it's a close loss and Florida State went out, wins out. Florida State very well might win out. It's got to win at Clemson, but schedule is not uh, demanding and it gets to play Florida at the end of the year opening close with SEC teams and um, nobody's saying Florida's overrated because nobody rated it very high anyway. But yeah, things look really good for Florida State right now and they don't look really good for LSU. Yeah, and I want to get into South Carolina and Florida here in just a moment, John, but wrapping up on on LSU. A couple things. Uh, first, I go back to that opening sequence where after a Florida State penalty, LSU had first and goal from the one-yard line. And I know a lot of coaches, Brian Kelly's not alone in this because a lot of coaches do it and it, it perplexes me every time. You got four shots, four chances from the one yard line. Why not stick the quarterback under center, put two or three fat guys in the backfield behind him because you can push the quarterback now. You can't grab his jersey and pull him along, but you can push from behind. The old quarterback sneak with a couple fat guys pushing him from behind, that is your friend in a first and goal from the one situation. Instead, they threw it three times. Um, they, they, they did one handoff, got stuffed and threw it three times incomplete. They got, they got no points. 
again, I just, I don't know why more coaches won't do the quarterback sneak in, in those scenarios. Um, yeah. And then I get your thoughts on that in a moment, John, but, but yeah. also I wanted to get your thoughts on this. Um, at the risk of a week one overreaction, LSU, we just talked about it. A lot of problems were exposed. Texas A&M playing a meek opponent, granted, but they left no doubt in week one. Is your thinking rewired at all about who the threat is to Alabama in the SEC West? Are you now thinking maybe Texas A&M is the greater threat to Alabama than LSU is? Well, I'm not sold on Alabama either. I thought Texas A&M was the most improved team I saw on the weekend. I watched a lot of football games, all the SEC games, most of them anyway, and uh, completely different looking team. And I think Texas A&M could beat LSU. Well, it beat LSU last year. Right. Uh, And it it gets Alabama at home, whereas Alabama is hosting LSU. I mean, I I do feel like A&M, I know we were talking about them a lot in the preseason, but because they were so bad last year, it was a rare situation where A&M felt like they were flying under the radar a little bit. Normally, they're one of the most overhyped teams in the country. That wasn't the case this year because of how bad last year was. But if you looked at what they brought back, plus the schedule, you know, getting Alabama at home, boy, they, they could be, they could start becoming pretty dangerous here. Yeah, and you can't dismiss the Bobby Petrino factor. Uh, not the most likable guy in college football. <laughs> That's an understatement, but uh, he's great with quarterbacks. He's great calling plays, and and both of those factors came into play in A&M's game. Again, against a weak team, but when you watch what they did schematically, they repeatedly got New Mexico one-on-one coverage on their big play receivers. I think A&M has the best receiving core in the country, and uh, that was pretty obvious uh, in that game. Another thing, watching Connor Wigman, I would rather have him than Jaden Daniels or Jalen Milrow at Alabama. I just think A&M has a better quarterback now with uh, Petrino helping him out. I think they're going to be a very difficult team to beat. Change of gears, John. I mentioned the, the Florida loss to Utah. I don't think the result was surprising maybe just how utterly bad it was for Florida, maybe surprise some people. Again, our, our, you and I's expectations for Florida was so low, I don't, I don't know that it was too shocking to us. And then South Carolina, we had raised some concerns about South Carolina's supporting cast. Did they have enough around Spencer Rattler? Well, evidently they don't, because Rattler was sacked nine times, nine times by North Carolina, which by the way, does not rank as one of the most fearsome pass rushes in college football. South Carolina is going to go up against, uh, you know, more menacing pass rushes in the future. And uh, God help Spencer Rattler after he was sacked nine times in that lopsided result against North Carolina, South Carolina dealing with a slew of injuries. Uh, Which one of those results did you think was maybe more jarring, more eye-opening than the Florida loss or the South Carolina loss? Well, as you said, I had such low expectations for Florida. But my expectations for the rest of the season are even lower now. 
it was one thing for Utah to beat Florida by 13 points with Cam rising at quarterback with all its defensive starters intact. But, man, it did that with a slew of backups playing. And Florida, its one strength, maybe what I thought was its only strength, was its running back core. And it rushed for 13 yards. I know a lot of that was sacks took away, but it couldn't run the ball. And I know Utah's a good team, but this wasn't the Utah team that's, you know, that won the Pac-12 last year. If all those starters in there, it very well might be the best team in the Pac-12. But right now, it isn't. That was just a horrible loss for Florida. And also, you know, Billy Napier is supposed to be so organized and so detailed-oriented. Well, Florida had two number threes covering the putt once. I mean, it, it was just a, a one mistake after another. Uh, it looked like a poorly coached team. and uh, then, But the South Carolina game, I, I didn't think South Carolina's line, offensive line would be uh, world shakers, but I expected it could do more than it did against North Carolina. As you mentioned, this is not a team renowned for dominant defensive, defensive front. Spencer Rattler completed 30 of 39 passes. I think that was the most amazing stat of the weekend. How in the world he completed 30 passes under that kind of pressure, it was one play after another. While they were playing backup quarterbacks at wide receiver. <laughs> you know, it wasn't like he was thrown to Keon Coleman and Johnny Wilson of Florida State. As I said, South Carolina had, had former quarterbacks yeah. wide out there. Yes, yeah. That What does that tell you? They've now got to carry and join her former quarterback at running back. He was also playing some wide receiver. They've got Luke Doty, a former four-star quarterback recru- recruit, playing. He's like their fifth receiver or something. Wow. I completely yeah, it, changed it, my take on South Carolina. And I think you texted me during the game four and eight. You might yeah. be right on that one. That looked like yeah, a And, and that might be a little overkill. Uh, but as I look at the schedule, I, I didn't think Florida was going to make a bowl game anyway, John. And obviously, I still don't. <laughs> I saw nothing against Utah that changed my mind on that. Uh, South Carolina, as I've said before, I thought they had one of, if not maybe the toughest schedule in the SEC when you combine their conference schedule with their non-conference that had not only North Carolina at the start, but Clemson to book it, end it at the end. So it, you don't. You don't have to get into crazy land to start seeing the losses pile up for South Carolina here. In two weeks, they have Georgia. Then they have Mississippi State. Then they're at Tennessee. Florida, okay, maybe they can get one at home against Florida. Then they're at Missouri, at Texas A&M. You know, they got a string of home games, and they got Clemson to end the season. Like, I, I think they can still get to six. But, yeah, my, my outlook on, on South Carolina, it, I was fading the Gamecocks. In the in the final couple months before the start of the season, and and now I've, I mean, forget about it. I've I've completely faded that, that group. It's it's Spencer Rattler, and um, a patchwork unit there, a, a, a an offensive line that can't can't block anybody. Um, backup quarterbacks running around at, at wide receiver. Uh, backup former quarterbacks running around in the backfield. 
and and a defense that is not as good as as last year's team. So Spencer Rattler and not much else, I guess, is the bottom line. I don't see South Carolina making a bowl at all. I mean, you, you kind of jokingly four and eight, but I think that's a five and seven is a very real possibility. I think so. Because of too many, too many weaknesses. And I look even in the okay, you can beat Vanderbilt, but I'm not sure you can beat who else can you beat in the East? I mean, Missouri? No, I don't think so. Now, Missouri uh, beat him last year. Yeah, so. and did Kentucky. Uh, I don't think Kentucky has great depth either, so we'll see how the season plays out. But Tennessee is going to beat that team very badly. And yeah, Tennessee looked good in week one. I know it was Virginia, one of the worst Power 5 teams in the country. Uh, Tennessee didn't didn't really miss a beat. Uh, and they didn't even play at their peak either. They had some special teams miscues. Mel Keaton dropped a, a deep pass, probably would have went for a touchdown. So it wasn't a totally flawless performance from Tennessee, but still, uh, when you combine it with other results in the league, they have to come out feeling pretty good, good about themselves after week one. All right, John, let's, uh, let's do a little uh, sizzle and fizzle segment here, highlighting a, a performance that really caught our eye for the sizzle and a dud that we're still thinking about for the fizzle. I'll, I'll lead us off here. Uh, the sizzle, I'm going to go with Ole Miss quarterback Jackson Dart. I know it was against an FCS opponent. These are supposed to be confidence-building games. They're supposed to be games where you got the walk-ons in after halftime, and that's what it was. It was a blowout for Ole Miss. But Jackson Dart had to watch Lane Kiffin bring in two transfer quarterbacks, Walker Howard from LSU, and veteran starter Spencer Sanders from Oklahoma State beef up that quarterback competition. There was questions about whether he would hang on to his job. Well, he not only did he hang on to the job, but he came out in week one, completed his first 11 passes of the game, wound up throwing for 334 with four touchdowns. I know it's Mercer, big deal, right? Uh, but it does sort of back up what we'd been hearing throughout the offseason that Jackson Dart is an improved quarterback. Uh, much bigger test this week on the road against Tulane, but a good start from him. Uh, and on to my fizzle, before we get yours, John. Uh, you already touched on it, but I'm going to go ahead and pile on. The fizzle, a few options here. I'm going with the Florida Gators because when you're a second-year coach, you can retain support in a couple different ways. Ideally, you're winning games, right? But sometimes it's about how you lose. You can convince administrators, boosters, fans, uh, that there's a bright future ahead, that, that the team is just a, a few rec recruits away from being a contender, that your team plays with sound fundamentals, and there's reason to be hopeful. You just need to add a couple more pieces. Well, that's not what I came away thinking about Florida on Thursday because it was the antithesis of that. Uh, you said it earlier. It was so true. Looked like a poorly coached team. Penalties galore. Uh, just an inordinate number of special teams, gaffes, offensive line, it's terrible. Defense looks slow. <laughs> <laughs> Need I say more? Uh, they're the Florida. With with apologies to LSU and South Carolina, Florida's my fizzle of the week. Yeah, there was a lot of fizzle and sizzle to go around, uh, and I was impressed with what Jackson Dart did. I didn't get to watch any of that game, but the I thought the uh, the stats were compelling. Uh, he obviously was more consistent. Uh, 19 of 23, 
He's got a lot of talent around him. Offense looks pretty dynamic. We'll know a lot more about Ole Miss after this week when it plays no Tulane. Uh, I mean, not that Tulane is a top-10 team, but it did beat Southern Cal in a bowl game last year. So, uh, yeah, and, and as far as for Florida goes, uh, maybe Billy Napier is trying to do too much. He's he's a head coach. He's calling the plays. He's quarterback coach. I, he's got two offensive line coaches, two of them. And that's what he gets from his offensive line. Maybe I'd have one of those guys start coaching special teams. Looked like no one was in charge of those of those units. You know what I might uh, might do? I might suspend them both for a game and tell the old lineman, "Hey guys, just do what you do." <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't get it, guys. Yeah, we we're not gonna <laughs> tell you what to do anymore. Do what you think is right. Uh, okay, for my uh, for my fizzle, I mean, he pretty much. Uh, he fizzled out himself. I mean, he he uh, Brian Kelly did not pull any punches, and I like that. I I really like that when a coach, you, as you pointed out earlier, you don't see it that often in the college game. But when he just goes off and just he doesn't just mention it, it, it you know he could have just mentioned, hey, we we got a lot to clean up, my mm-hmm. bad, uh, just a lot of mistakes, not what we were looking for, but no. He pretty much buried that team. Pretty I mean, much. a total failure. Those are, that's a phrase you and I use in the in the cheap <laughs> seats from the sports columnist chair. I was a little frustrated, like Brian Kelly coming well, for my job, calling calling his team a total failure against Florida State. I just wish somebody in the in the press conference would have said, "Well, do you still have a chance at making the college football playoff?" <laughs> Uh, we could have had a Jim Moore repeat. So I'll go with him. And you brought it up, uh, Harold Perkins. He just took Harold Perkins out of the game. LSU was already missing uh, defensive lineman Mason Smith for the game. He's supposed to be an All-American if he ever plays. Uh, but to take Harold, Harold Perkins and say, okay, well, you just, you just kind of hang out uh, behind the line and you know, check everything out, move around, maybe cover a little bit, watch what the quarterback's doing. Uh, yeah, you should have just given him a cell phone and let him do a documentary on the game He <laughs> because he was not involved, and I don't blame him for it. So, yeah, he's my fizzle. My sizzle, there was a lot of sizzle in that Texas A&M game. I know it's playing New Mexico, but still, uh, Connor Wegman, Right now, I would take him over any quarterback in the SEC. Uh, he's got a great supporting cast. I mean, four big-time you, you talk about zero to 100, John. You're taking him over any quarterback in the SEC based off of that game over New yeah. Mexico. All right. Yeah. I'd like to see him with Georgia right now. Well, I didn't and, see the game. You must have become away really impressed with the New Mexico result. I, I was following along as I watched other games. I didn't I didn't have it on one of my screens, but you yeah, did. Well, so yeah, you're well, the expert. <laughs> for this podcast cast purposes, but uh you know how good Evan Stewart is. Mm-hmm. I mean he showed that last year when the quarterbacks were was a revolving door at quarterbacks, but if they could get the ball to him, usually good things would happen. But they've got Noah Thomas, who goes about 6'6", and who can catch the ball better than Johnny Wilson at Florida State. I I just thought he was uh, 
those two guys, and then they've got uh, Anaya Smith and uh, Muhammad, Musa Muhammad. I just point, and they were getting them open, and Wigman was showing his uh, he can run too when need be. He's not a running quarterback, but he can run and make yardage when he has to. Uh, just a great performance by Texas A&M. So am I overreacting? Probably, but that's kind of what you're supposed to do on podcasts. That's what weeks one is for, sure. for sure. Yeah, Texas A&M, much like uh, the aforementioned Ole Miss and Jackson Dart, Texas A&M will have a much stiffer test this week. Uh, it's Miami, not peak Miami, but road game. So, and Texas A&M is favored by just a few points. They'll be among our picks as we get to the pick segment in a little bit. But first, John, I, I wanted to unpack something you said sort of in passing earlier. Um, I had a couple screens going toward the end of the night, Saturday, South Carolina, North Carolina on one, had the Alabama game on the other. And my thoughts on Alabama were, okay, this is certainly good enough against Middle Tennessee. Took care of business. Jalen Milrow accumulated five touchdowns, no turnovers. Everything you you had to see in week one. Like it, it wasn't, um, there was no real reason for panic, I thought. On the other hand, I never felt like I was seeing Alabama at its peak either. Or at least I thought for Alabama, they should hope this isn't their peak. And the result looked great, right? 56 to seven, but maybe I've just over the years set the bar so high for Alabama, but I, I expected a little bit more, at least long-term, if they're going to be a playoff team, they're going to win the West. There's got to be a higher level. I think despite that lopsided result, you mentioned earlier, you're till you're, you're still not totally sold on Alabama either. So I'm guessing you had some similar thoughts maybe as, as you watched that game against middle Tennessee. Very much so. I mean, Middle Tennessee was obviously outclassed when it came to talent. And we do judge Alabama by a different standard. We judge it by the old Alabama standard. But, I mean, this is a team that expects to win a championship, not just the SEC championship. So I think a harsh critique is called for. Jalen Milrow didn't make any mistakes. He threw the ball. He hit on a deep ball for 47 yards. Alabama's receivers weren't dropping the ball all over the place when I was watching. Uh, they have that tendency in the past two years. Um, but there weren't guys that when – when I'm watching teams that I think could compete for a championship or win a championship, I look for guys that uh, can make plays in the biggest games when things are going against you and not everything's working, that they're difference makers. I didn't see any difference makers on offense for Alabama. I didn't go, wow, man, that guy. Yeah. You know, I didn't, I just didn't see that it, again, not good competition. And of course it overwhelmed MTSU, but at no point in that game did I think I'm watching a championship caliber team. Alabama under Nick Saban is usually dominant in this dominant in the season opener. And it doesn't matter who the opponent is. I mean, it could be Florida State. It could be Southern Cal. I mean, it just about put USC out of business one year in the opener. I mean, I thought it might quit for the year after that. Scored 51 points on it. That's what I kind of expected to see from Alabama, just overwhelmingly better performance. And that's its history again. 
And I don't see that. Be curious to see how it does against Texas. I'm not that high on Texas either, so that's not like it's uh, the ultimate barometer. But I didn't see a championship team out there. With Jalen Milrow, we were led to believe from Nick Saban. Now, I don't think I did believe it, but we were led to believe that this you know quarterback competition went right up until the final hours. Saban wouldn't name a starter you know, until it, it leaked 24 hours before kickoff that Milrow would get the start. Again, I never really bought that. I've, I've thought for a couple months now it was going to be Milrow, but I thought that became even more clear in the game. It wasn't like you know, Alabama was evaluating a couple guys early on in that game. We didn't see Tyler Buckner, the backup, until midway through the third quarter. We didn't see Ty Simpson until the fourth quarter. Like, this was the Milrow show, and that's not to say that if he breaks down uh, poor performance later in the season, maybe Nick Saban will consider a change. But sure didn't look like to me that there was a 1-1A one one situation Uh I think Milrow's the guy, and I think that's the way it's been for a few months. I do tend to believe that he gives Alabama the highest ceiling because of his big play ability and because I'm not sold on either one of those other guys. I I keep going back to the fact that if Tyler Buckner had stayed at Notre Dame, he would have been Notre Dame's backup, and I don't believe a Notre Dame backup is, uh, is the answer for Alabama's starting quarterback. Ty Simpson, there's nothing we've seen from him. A limited time, but nothing we've seen from him either in spring uh, or you know, in game action that makes me think he's QB1. So I think you know, Milrow is the best they got, and they're going to need to be good yeah. at the line of scrimmage. They're going to have to have a good running game, and you know he's big play potential. We did see that at times. He's got a big arm, and he can beat opponents with his legs in a way that no Alabama quarterback ever has for Nick Saban other than Jalen Hurts. I mean, he's really the only comparable, and I think Milrow's even a different type of athlete than Hurts is. Uh, yeah, we spent much of this pod get, podcast uh, ripping LSU to shreds, <laughs> but I'm still not al- sure Alabama can beat LSU. Uh, I, I'm really not. I, I think LSU, uh, LSU would get Mason Smith back. I think – I. I st- I just don't see things with Alabama that make it make me think it can win a championship. Now, uh, LSU is playing against a really good quarterback with Florida State. It's not going to be facing that kind of quarterback against Alabama. Uh, so that will be a factor in it too. But when I look at all the – not just Alabama, but when I looked at the big three going into the season, Alabama, Georgia – and uh, LSU, LSU. <laughs> I can't even say yeah, you, you've buried them already. Yeah, I buried LSU already. But I didn't think any of those teams were as good as I thought they would be in the opening game. Uh, I just did. Yeah, and maybe our standards for Alabama have just gotten unreasonable, John, because it seemed we're making it seem like they won by two touchdowns. They did win fifty-six to seven uh, against a an FBS team, but. It just felt like there needs to be another gear here, and and maybe they find it. It's just week one. Uh, maybe they still find it. Jalen Milrow, I do think it's worth noting. This is just his second career start. He's two and zero as a starter. He barely two and zero. Almost lost Texas A&M last year, but I still think there's, I think there's a lot to like about this Alabama team. I think, 
you know, they are relying on some youth, some inexperienced players in some spots. So it's very conceivable they could improve as the year goes along. I'm not totally out on Alabama. I, I liked LSU coming more into the season, starting to reevaluate that. <laughs> not totally there. Uh, like you, I, I, I still think Alabama LSU is a bit of a coin flip game, but I'm not totally ruling out Al- Alabama either. I, I just think with their schedule, they've got some landmines waiting there. And one of them comes this week. Now I know I'm probably a little higher on Texas than, than you are. And, and Texas let rice hang around a little bit in their opener. Quinn Ewers, the Texas quarterback was just okay. Um, you know, which really I think described Texas's performance overall against Rice. The run game was certainly not what it was last year with Bijan Robinson. Uh, defense was fine, but Texas didn't exactly overwhelm Rice, and the opener just took care of business. Now Texas comes to Alabama. Alabama seven and a half point favorites, and let's lead off our our pick segment there, John. Normally we save the best game for last, but whatever. We're, we're talking about Alabama anyway, so let's just let's just get it going. Uh, last week in the picks, I was 3-1 and one against the spread. You were 2-2. Two and two. We both got our locks of the week, so I'm sure listeners will want to be dialed in as we finish up with our lock, but let's start with Alabama, Texas. Uh, I'll go first, John, since I'm the leader in the clubhouse here, give you a little advantage. I guess I, I can't cool on Texas now. I've been uh, been big on them all off season. I think they can win the Big 12. They're one and zero. Wasn't great, but they didn't give me total reason to just backpedal from them. I think Alabama wins. I think it's a close game. I don't think they cover the seven and a half. This is going to be one of the most important games in the month of September. I think because I think it's going to tell us were we at undervaluing Alabama in the preseason. If so, by just how much could they be the second playoff team from the SEC alongside Georgia should should the SEC get two? There, there's other tough games on Alabama's schedule. This isn't the end-all, be-all, even if they win it. But as far as a an early season test that should be pretty revealing, I think this is it. I do think they win, which I think will be an important confidence booster for Jalen Milrow and that offense. But I do say Texas uh, will cover the spread. I'll take the seven and a half points. Well, as I said, I'm not as high on Texas as you are. I just always think Texas's big years is always next year. (laughs) And so I I think people can look ahead to 2024. However, can you imagine if Texas would win at Tuscaloosa, what that would do for the SEC two weeks into the season and LSU and Alabama, both with the loss, you can forget two teams in the playoff from the SEC if that happens. I just – I think – I know it's early, but this is a crucial game, not just for Alabama, but for the SEC. So I think Alabama will be revved up for this one at home, uh, and I'll give the seven and a half points and uh, take Alabama. Okay. All right, big swing game in our standings there. We'll see <laughs> long, if we can get – Long season, Blake. Long yeah, season. long season. True. Uh, all right, dare I even ask, John, on this one? You're so high on the Aggies after their beatdown of mighty New Mexico in week one. Texas A&M, four-point favorite on the road against uh, Miami, Florida, who uh, beats Miami, Ohio, 
38 to three. Had no no trouble in its opener. Big test here for your uh, your Aggies. I know Miami. This is not this is not the U. Miami was five and seven last year, but still name brand, logo school. You're not going to take Miami, are you? You're going to take Texas A&M to cover that four. Sure. Yeah, and I'd, and I'd be willing to give more than four on that one. I'd give you seven or eight. Give Miami seven or eight. Hmm. Uh, I don't think A&M's defense I thought would be pretty go- good going in. It's got depth on the front line, a lot of experience on defense. But the turnaround on offense, albeit against an outmanned opponent, and I didn't even watch Miami. I, I don't watch uh, two Miami teams play. I'm just not <laughs> going to do that. So, but I, no, I think Texas A&M will will win that game and beat the point spread too. Okay, I'll I'll, I'll go. What you've convinced me, you uh, you are a resident <laughs> expert on this podcast of A&M. You say they uh, and they looked fantastic against New Mexico. So you've convinced me they can they can cover the the four point spread we'll we'll be in lockstep on that one uh one of the uh could be a sneaky good game this week all all eyes will be on texas alabama right but uh, Ole miss just six point favorite against tulane tulane one and oh had that great season last year you mentioned earlier beat southern cow in the cotton bowl they they brought their quarterback back michael pratt uh all michael pratt did in his week one game john Completed 14 of 15 passes, four touchdowns. They're one in completion. So, uh, yeah, Tulane won 37-17 against South Alabama. As I mentioned, Ole Miss dominated Mercer. No real surprise there. Ole Miss, six-point favorite. Well, this is one, if I had some real money on the line, I'd probably stay the heck away from it. But uh, with the six and not, say, seven or seven and a half, I'll get pulled in and I'll take Ole Miss. I say they win by a touchdown. They win by they win by at least seven. I'll t- I'll take the Rebels. Yeah, having grown up in Louisiana, when I when I see Tulane, I, I just it's a hard team to pick. I mean, I, I just knowing the history of that program, and I know it had a really good year last year. Heck, it went unbeaten with uh, when Tommy Bowden was uh, coaching there at one time, and uh, I I think it was yeah he was a coach and. Uh, so it has it's had some of some highs through the years, but Ole Miss, uh, you pointed it out with Jackson Dart playing that well. Ole Miss has a lot of talent on offense. You got to score a lot of points to beat the Rebels. So I'll take Ole Miss, and I'll give the points. Yeah, it's I just, I have to keep reminding myself don't overreact to a game against an FCS opponent. But you know, I talked about fading a couple teams last few weeks before the season started, there was also a couple teams that I, I picked up interest in and, and started to value a little bit more as the season arrived. And Ole Miss fell into that category. I really like what they've done in beefing up their skill position talent. We saw that um, in, in week one. Trey Harris had over 100 receiving yards, the, the transfer wide receiver. Uh, we know how good Quinshawn Judkins is. They didn't need him much in the season opener would expect him to be leaned on uh, a little bit more against two lines. So, I mean, the skill position talent is, is all there. This is a veteran offensive line. Uh, two questions with Ole Miss were, can the defense be competent enough to let the offense do work? You know, just don't 
keep keep your team in games, and then how much improved would Jackson Dart be? Um, so far, so good. Much bigger test this week. All right, this is a this is a strange one, John. Don't know what to make. Uh, Auburn on the road, six and a half point favorite at Cal. I guess that's what uh, that's what the sports books think of of Cal, or at least what they anticipate betters will think of Cal. But Cal won last week. They uh, went to North Texas and got a got a big win. Auburn won its debut with Hugh Freeze beat up on Massachusetts. Robbie Ashford did the running. Peyton Thorne did the passing. Wasn't exactly an overwhelming display from Auburn, but certainly good enough considering the opponent. And now, despite being on the road, Auburn is a six and a half point favorite against Cal. What are you thinking? Well, I want to go back to something you just said, make sure I heard you right. You said Cal went on the road to <laughs> North Texas. Cal went on the road to okay. North Texas. I, I don't know why uh, that was the case, but uh, someone got duped in the scheduling there. Maybe there were too many protests at the stadium there in Berkeley, and they decided we better play somewhere else. No, that tells me all I need to know. If you're scheduling road game, if you're a Power 5 conference team and you're scheduling road games at North Texas. Uh, yeah, I, but they won by 37 in that hostile environment. There in uh, what is that? Denton, Texas. Is that yeah, Denton, Texas. Texas Thirty-five yeah. miles north of Dallas. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would, t- I would take Auburn and give the points. Uh, I just don't. I, I can't remember the last time. I'm trying to think of the last time I watched Cal play. And now I'm also thinking, will I ever watch Cal play? Maybe I'll, <laughs> maybe I'll watch some of this game. Well, what time's the kickoff? Did you notice? I, I haven't looked it up, oh, I will admit. I, I looked up the betting line, and that was that was as far as I got. Okay, I'll uh, I'll record that game and maybe check it out later. So I'll, I'll take Auburn in six and a half. I thought Auburn did pretty well uh, under Hugh Freeze in, in the first game. Maybe I'm a little gun-shy about the SEC after the flop that was week one, John, because without really any justification here, uh, I am taking Cal. You're going to give me get, in a power in an all power five matchup. You're giving the home team six and a half points to play with. Mm, I don't care if it is Cal. Give me those six and a half points at home. What do you, you think look. the crowd will be like there in Berkeley? <laughs> Absent. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think the crowd will be like? You know, non-existent. I mean, I don't, I don't know that Auburn fans are making the trip out there. And yeah. I would say Cal fans, but does Cal have any fans at this point? No, they're they're up in trees overlooking the stadium. Uh, I would say, yeah, I would say thirty thousand. Okay. Well, still, you got a long flight. Am I convincing you? I guess not. You're you're all in with the Auburn result there. Yeah. Jet lag. Jet lag. Yeah. Here I am. Here I am ripping the SEC, and I picked all four SEC teams and picked them to cover the spread. So that's. Probably. I like I like my chances. I've I've yeah, pivoted like away it. pivoted yes. away yes. from the SEC on yes. two games. Locks of the week, John. We'll close with that. Uh, I'll lead us off with my lock, a team we didn't talk about yet. Arkansas had no problem in its uh, its opener against an FCS opponent. Now they have what might as well be an FCS opponent in week two. They host Kent State. Kent State got uh, destroyed. 
by Gus Malzahn's UCF in their week one game. Lost by 50 points, fighting Malzahn's. But uh, Arkansas favored by only, only 37 and a half. It's a monstrous line, but still, I feel good going up against Kent State there. So I will take the Hogs to cover the 37 and a half points. I always like going against Kent State in my locks of the week. That's a that's one that suckers me in quite a bit, and I like to think I hit on that more often than I don't. Well, uh, Kent State uh, probably has uh, one of the worst offenses in FBS. Uh, so I think I like that pick. I'd go the same way. Uh, my pick, uh, Southern Cal, given 29.5. <laughs> You're old faithful. You love Southern Cal to cover the spread yeah. and, and seems to work out. So, okay. Yeah, well, here's the thing. Like, I mean, they, they got a big offense. Lincoln Riley doesn't, doesn't worry about having to hold down the score. And they have good backups, talented backups on offense. So when those guys come in the game in the fourth quarter, they're still throwing it around, still making some plays. Stanford, I think, is one of the worst Power Five teams uh, in the country. Uh, so, yeah, that to me is uh, easy money. You said it's 29 and a half? Yeah. Yeah, USC might be winning by 30 by halftime. So, I Well, don't... they gave up, what was it, 39 last week? One by 50-something? UNLV. Yeah, it was 39 point spread. Yeah, that was your lock last week, too. Yeah. Wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. They, they might be your lock every week. Yeah, I just yeah. might keep USC. All right. Well, we'll leave it there. Georgia, Alabama, Texas AM left to carry the torch for the for the SEC after what was uh, a disappointing for week one for the conference. Some more tests ahead in week two. We will be back with you next week. To discuss, as always, if you like what you hear on SEC Football Unfiltered, we'd appreciate it if you could click that subscribe button or give us a rating or review. Those ratings and reviews help us get in front of more listeners. Thanks for listening, and we shall be back with you next week.